You are listening to Holy Words from Holy Cross, the sermon podcast of Holy Cross Evangelical Lutheran Church in Nazareth, Pennsylvania. We hope you find these words a blessing in your daily walk with God. Please visit us on the web at www.holycrossnazareth.org or in person at 696 Johnson Road, Nazareth, Pennsylvania. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Don't be all else to me, save that thou Would you join me for a word of prayer? Blessed Lord Jesus, we give you thanks and praise for the opportunity to come to this, your house, and receive from you your words of grace and challenge. Strengthen and bless us with faith and steadfastness of purpose, that coming to a right understanding of your will, we may have the courage to do it. We ask this in the precious name which is above all others, which is yours, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So, there's a lot going on in our scripture readings today. And uh, I got to late last night and I thought to myself, or not maybe not late, I thought, tomorrow is around the altar communion. I can't preach a sermon this long. So I cut it in half. <laughs> so hopefully it's still uh, understandable and you can follow it. Um, there's a lot going on in our, in our story. We have the whole arc of salvation going on in a way, up to, but not quite to, the book of Revelation. So as we open Genesis, at the opening of Genesis, we see Adam and Eve being made in God's image and then choosing to sin. And in so choosing, their immediate impulse is to hide from one another. We've just been told before in the book of Genesis that they were naked and unashamed. The minute they sin, they begin to hide, not just from God, although they're doing that. They hide from one another. They feel vulnerable, like the other person might hurt them. They feel they have things to hide that they don't want to show the other person. And this sense of distance from each other becomes a perennial source of our sin against one another. But Christ comes, and in Christ, that dividing wall of hostility, as Paul calls it in Ephesians, which there he's speaking about between Jews and Gentiles, but between each other is broken down. And we are made into one body, the body of Christ, through faith in what He has done for us. And in that one body, we are told in today's reading, there is to be no division. Now understand, as he writes this, he is writing to a very divided church. The church in Corinth was divided five ways from Sunday. The rich didn't commune with the poor. Some people came to worship drunk. They thought they were, some people were better than others, and some people were teaching novel doctrines that the apostles didn't teach. There was lots of division, and St. Paul's reminding them that there is to be no division in the body, that in fact, in the body, the members are to have the same care for one another. Everyone cares for each other equally. 
And in his, in his metaphor of the body of Christ saying, if you're, a, if you're a head, you can't say to the feet, I have no need of you. And, you know, every part of the body is of equal importance in the body. And when he says that particular part, that the head can't say to the feet, I have no need of you, we need to remember he just called Christ the head of the church earlier in the letter. We are all to have equal concern for one another. You may think you're more important than another part of the body. You may think you're the heart and that they're just the big toe. But if you've, have you ever stubbed your big toe? I've got high cholesterol. I'm, I'm tangled here. Here we go. Um, I, have, I have high cholesterol and I know I should be worrying about my heart, but when I stub my big toe, I don't think about anything but my big toe. <laughs> All of us are of equal value to the body and we've each been given our place in the body precisely by God's good will to see His will done on earth as in heaven. And this is why if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And this includes our Lord Jesus. Our Lord Jesus suffers with us when we suffer. And there's perhaps no more consoling doctrine in the Scriptures. And He rejoices with us when we rejoice. That we, His precious brothers and sisters, our Heavenly Father's precious sons and daughters, have a foretaste of the feast that is to come, if only for a moment. The joy that we will someday experience magnified beyond compare in heaven. And we suffer with our Lord. We will through prayer and ritual in the coming week of Holy Week relive our Lord's suffering with Him and at its conclusion rejoice with Him in His resurrection victory. We suffer together, we rejoice together. We are one body in Christ. But on this side of heaven, in the state we are now, where we are, as Martin Luther said, simo iusus et peccator, which means simultaneously saint and sinner, justified and sinner, on this side of eternity, the body will get wounded. It's bad enough when the wounds come from the outside, but it's when they come from the inside that the wounds especially hurt. When uh, my children and I do karate, it's amazing how much of the training is just to learn to get you out of your own way. Learn how not to trip yourself up when someone's coming at you to hurt you. And we the people of God, saved by His grace through faith, are learning to not trip one another up, to not become a stumbling block to one another. And that's so much of the purpose of St. Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. But when we wound each other, whether by something we've done or left undone, by something we intended or didn't intend, when that happens to us, when we do it to one another, 
Our Lord, the great physician, has a prescription for the healing of the body. And that's what we hear in detail in Matthew 18 today. The healing of the one body of Christ is... He's given us a very straightforward prescription to its healing. The first step is that we talk person to person with the person who has hurt us. The person who has offended or sinned against us. We go to them one on one. And this is the hardest step of all. Because it requires the most personal courage and fortitude. But it's also the step that has the most far-reaching ramifications in a way. First of all, it shows respect and trust for the person we're approaching one-on-one. It says to them, I think you're a person worth having this conversation with. It often, it's an important, I should say it's an important step because we often don't know our sin. We come to them and say, you hurt me. And they say, well, do you know you hurt me? Oh. I was thinking about how I was offended. It opens up a conversation between the two of us that we didn't know we need to have. It shows their value to us. It shows that not only am I concerned that they hurt me, but that I love them and wish to be restored to relationship with them. It preserves their dignity in the wider community. There's nothing more hurtful than hearing, you know so-and-so saying this and that about you? Because we know, we know, that the rumor's gone way, way out there. And people will always hear the bad news before they hear the good news. Me and the person in question may sew up our relationship. We may sew up the, the misunderstanding between us. But how long does it take for the ripple to get out there? And how has our character been poisoned in the meantime? Going to somebody person to person preserves their dignity and helps that keep from being a factor in their thinking. It keeps others around us from taking sides if we have the courage to go person to person. Because if we don't know the whole story, me and that other person, there's no way the whole group can know the whole story. And this keeps the wound in the body small. It keeps the wound small. It keeps it contained. I have in the last few years had two congregation members lose the lower part of their legs by wounds that started as a small cut on the sole of the foot. Wounds can go septic. And we want to keep the wound small and treat it as quickly as possible before it affects the rest of the body. Step two in the great physician's prescription is this. Bring one or two witnesses with you to establish the facts. And one of the facts that might be established is that maybe I'm the one in the wrong. I bring two people and I sit down with the other person with whom I'm, who I'm upset and they say to me, as we, we tell our stories and the people we brought in say, Pastor, I think you got the wrong end of the stick on this one. It's hard to hear. 
But it's something I need to hear if it's true. It helps the other person see their fault if they don't see it. And we often don't see our own faults. Or else we wouldn't act the way we act. But if two brothers and sisters or sisters who love me tell me I'm in the wrong and I know their love for me, it's, it's information I need. I need it in order to be restored in my own personal character. And this is why the two that are brought in should be friends of both parties involved in the conflict. That prevents the suspicion of there being favoritism in their judgment. So that's step two. Step three, discuss it in the assembly. If steps one and two don't bring resolution, then you bring it to the assembly, which is the word we translate as church. We bring it to the whole church to have the discussion. And here's what that assumes right up front. It assumes that both parties in the disagreement are going to accept the judgment of the community. I think I'm coming in as the grieved party and I may hear differently in the community of the faithful. I may hear that in whole or in part I have responsibility in this and I'm willing to accept that judgment of the community for both of us. And this, in doing this, the unity of the body is maintained because it is the body that's bringing the judgment. And a decision to reject the judgment, well, that, that means me saying, I don't care what the body says and I don't want to be part of a group like that. I place myself outside of the community of the faithful by my rejection of their judgment. And this is, leads to step four, treating them as a Gentile or a tax collector, the dreaded excommunication phase of this journey. But here's what I want you to remember about them being a Gentile or a tax collector, the way that Jews treated Gentiles and tax collectors at the time the Gospels were written. First of all, they're a neighbor. There's someone who if you follow Jesus, you're not only required to be nice for to them, you're required to have love for them, not even if they're your enemy, but especially if they're your enemy. You're to pray for your persecutors. We are all of us to love our enemies. So they're our neighbors and people for whom we have concern. And they're a person who may enter the body again in the same way everyone else enters the body of Christ. Earlier in 1 Corinthians, St. Paul is going to give instructions that somebody be treated in this way in the church so that their soul can be restored. The way you enter the body of Christ is we repent of our sins. This is for all of us. We enter the body of Christ by repenting of our sins, by receiving forgiveness, and by accepting the body's discipline. Those are the conditions under which all of us are part of the body of Christ. And our Gentile or tax collector neighbor may enter the body under the same set of circumstances and under the same conditions. And that is our prayer and our fervent hope. The discipline of the body of Christ is this. 
Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, making the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The whole purpose of Jesus' teaching here is to bring us to this, to build us all up in love so we can build one another up. How deep a wound can this process of Jesus' heal? No story helps me understand it better than the story of the Jamri Church in Rosyong, South Korea. I apologize if I'm not pronouncing those right. I tell you this story not so you can affix blame or cast aspersions, but so that you can focus on how our Lord can bring healing where it seems no healing is possible. And we follow His instructions. Those of us in America, um, because of the horrors of the concentration camps in World War II, uh, most of our energy, even in our history textbooks, was focused on Germany during World War II and what happened there. And we were... Although we, we knew that the, the fighting was brutal in the South Pacific, we don't know the full horrors of what happened under Japanese imperialist rule in the colonial period. The Korean people do. The Korean Peninsula was, uh, was invaded and occupied from 1910 to 1945. And the Japanese, whom I love their culture, I, I, love, I love the shogun, uh, the, the, the sense of uh, respect and honor and stuff that goes on in that. I train in Japanese-style karate. Our family loves uh, Japanese culture. But they were brutal overlords. They ruled with an iron hand. The first thing they did was go around and shut down all the churches. Um, oppressors love to seem to do it. This is a tyrant thing. It happens throughout history. They never seem to learn that the church rises up stronger than when they put it down. Um, but they did this. There was a local pastor uh, in Huaxiang who kept going to the, the local police magistrates. They set up a police state. He kept going and said, can I please worship? Can, can I just, just, let's, let's just let us worship. We're not doing anything bad against the government. Please let us worship. Finally, the, the police um, captain said, okay, you can have one worship service. So the news went out. We're going to have worship. And not just his congregation, but people from all over the surrounding countryside heard the news and came on foot, walking past guards and armed people, their armed guards on the streets to go into their church and, and worship together. Now, if you don't know this about uh, Korean Christians, uh, it's fine. Go worship, with, go worship at a Korean church sometime. They can sing. They love to sing. And these were Methodists who really loved to sing. So the people outside the church could hear the singing and they were just raising the roof off the place and praising God. And as they sang the song, Nearer My God to Thee, they heard noise at the back door as the doors were barricaded. They didn't know the church had been doused in kerosene until they smelled the fire, smelled the smoke. Men ran for the windows, and as they went to jump out, they were, their bodies fell back in, repelled by a hail of bullets. The pastor knew it was the end. So he gathered his little flock, and they decided to sing, to say goodbye to this world, and hello to heaven. They sang, 
Two hymns. Alas, and did my Savior bleed, which we'll sing together next week. And at the cross. And as they sang at the cross, the roof of the church collapsed. And the singing disappeared into the sound of flames. The people of Korea, when victory was achieved in the Pacific in World War II, set up a small monument at the place of the church containing the bas relief you see there and listing the names of all those who died in the fire. In 1972, a group of pastors from Japan was visiting Korea. Understand the Japanese people had largely never heard of this story because the Japanese government in the imperial system, under the imperial system knew it was bad for their PR and their war efforts, so they, came up, they concocted a different story. When they read the plaque, saw the names, they immediately went back to Japan and started a fundraising campaign. The church in Japan is very, very small. A tiny group of believers and a, an island of millions. In short order, they raised 10 million yen and sent it back for the building of a church on the site where the church had been burned. And they came back. They came back to publicly repent of the sins of their country. None of them had been there when it happened. Most of them hadn't been born. But they came to say, we don't know what we can say, but we're sorry. And as they bowed before the Korean people, they said, we will say it as many times as we need to say it until you forgive us. This picture is from 2019, the 100th anniversary of the massacre. And Reverend Reiji Oyama came with a new delegation but to beg their forgiveness inside the church that was built. But in 1972, they were gathered outside and many of the families of the victims were still alive as these Japanese Christians begged their Korean Christian brothers and sisters to forgive them and forgive the country that they called home on their behalf. The bitterness that had eaten away and kept the joy of the Lord from the Korean believers for so many years was hard. And they didn't want to forgive. But as their Japanese brothers and sisters and treated them and begged them and confessed their sins again and again. Slowly one person at a time on the Korean gathered group started to cry and they would be embraced by a Japanese brother or sister who was crying in turn. Until finally, the tears of repentance mingled with the tears of forgiveness and the unity of the body of Christ was restored. Whatever has happened to us, however we've been offended, within the body of Christ, between us who call Jesus Christ Lord and Savior, there was no hurt so deep it cannot be overcome if we follow the great physician's prescription and seek his healing.
The discipline of the body is as much a gift as the forgiveness of sins that we need to start our journey. That we may speak the truth to one another in love and build each other up in love. Will you join me for a word of prayer? Lord, you have in your goodness granted us the forgiveness of our sins. And you have given us in your goodness therapy for our souls and ways to heal the wounds in the body of Christ. As we begin the final stage of our Lenten journey this year, O Lord, help us think on those who have hurt us, whether they know it or not, Help us to restore a deep and profound unity, even an intimacy like Adam and Eve had within the body. Not just here within Holy Cross, although we always start at home. Not just within our families, but within the larger family of God. Let us reach out to our brothers and our sisters in the churches from which we are divided. Let us reach out to our community in grace and love. Let us all, O Lord, experience that fullness of grace which is our inheritance as the children of God. That we may faithfully follow you and glorify your name. This we ask in the precious name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. My vision, O Lord of my heart, not be all else to me save that Thou art. Be Thou my best thought in the day and the night. Waking or sleeping, Thy presence my light.